This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Jeffrey Zilks has supported independent tech news directly for five years. Be like Jeffrey. Become a DTNS member at patreon.com slash DTNS. This is the Daily Tech News for Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. And from the shores of Finland, I'm the newly beardless Patrick. And I'm the show's producer and critical Marvel movie watcher, Roger Chan. <laughs> uh, Patrick Beja, your boyish good looks have been maintained under that beard. You look, you look lovely. Oh, thank you. You do too. Well, I'm sure I would if I shaved this beard. Uh, we, I've got some <laughs> yeah. European Union updates coming from Patrick. We're also going to talk about Google shutting down more products and whether we're losing faith in Google or not. But let's start with a few tech things you should know. Walmart is letting customers add grocery items to their online shopping carts by voice starting this month. So now you will say, or coming up anyway, you will say, Google, talk to Walmart to a Google Assistant device, and then the system will use prior purchases to choose correct brands and sizes. Valve accidentally posted unfinished web pages about its upcoming Index VR headset, mentioning a June 15th ship date with Engadget confirmed, which Engadget confirmed with Valve. The Index appears to include its own headphones and cameras on the outside, pointing to inside-out tracking similar to the Oculus Rift S. Valve will make an official announcement May 1st. Microsoft refreshed its Surface Book 2 base model today. Intel's latest 8th Gen quad-core i5 processor goes in the 13-inch Surface Book 2, and they discounted the existing dual-core 7th Gen model to $1,299. Microsoft's going to hold a Surface event on April 17th in New York City. That's expected to include detail pricing and availability for the Surface Hub 2 hardware, plus some accessories. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Stripe Tap to Pay on iPhone came along and changed everything. With Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. No more juggling different methods. Just a simple tap on my iPhone and transactions are complete. What's truly remarkable is how Stripe caters to all my customers' preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Stripe ensures a smooth checkout experience every time. Setting up Stripe was a breeze, taking just minutes to get up and running. From local markets to global retailers, Stripe helped me expand my reach and grow my business with ease. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. With models at every point on the price-performance curve, you no longer have to make trade-offs between intelligence, speed, and cost. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Haiku is the fastest and lowest-cost model on the market, perfectly designed for high-volume, high-speed use cases. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to keep them at the frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. And office furniture from Steelcase, apparently. Spark email has launched on Android with most of the same features as the iOS version of the app. Among other things, Spark lets users customize menu icons, notification options, and access quick widgets. And it's time to talk about the Indian elections and what WhatsApp is doing about it. <laughs> yeah. Who are you voting for, Tom? All right. So ahead of the elections in India, WhatsApp has introduced a tip line to send forwards and rumors and suspicious sounding messages and have them verified. And this is something that, you know, in the past, it's it's. It's become clear India has needed. So as somebody who participates in this, you'll receive a response informing you whether the information is either true or false or misleading or disputed or presently unverifiable. Maybe there's a photo and the system just doesn't really know if it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's right or not. The system accepts text, pictures, links, and video in English, Hindi, Tagulu, Bengali, and Malayalam. It's operated by a startup called Proto, which is in collaboration with Dig Deeper Media and Median. Photos will be uh, will be creating a database of information for further study by a research project called Checkpoints. Yeah, Proto Proto is doing that database. That that's kind of it. Seems like the bigger point for this is to create the research project for Checkpoint, where they can see how things spread, what kinds of things spread, etc. Because the next web article on this said that they put in their submission and didn't hear back. 
uh, at least within the first 30 minutes. So, uh, you know, it's not just India that's dealing with this uh, fake news, but India holds the largest democratic elections in the world. Uh, So this is this is a big deal in in general. And WhatsApp is extremely popular in India. And as as Sarah mentioned, we've talked a lot about uh, the spreading of misinformation there. So it's sort of the, the crucible for WhatsApp to get this sort of thing right. Well, and, and, and having these tools, I mean, you know, you read the article and you're like, this sounds great, of course. But how many people will be like, hmm, this photo might be incendiary for some reason. You know, let me check, you know, the WhatsApp database. Like, I hope the answer is lots of people, but that remains to be seen. Yeah. And, and if it takes a long time to get answers back, that's going to dissuade people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it needs to be relatively quick for an answer. Let's say a couple of hours, uh, maybe a little bit more. But I think more and more people, I, I don't know about India specifically, but in general, we're all becoming wary of fake news. And I think if there's an easy way to get an answer from someone reliable about an item that we're suspicious of, uh, a not insignificant amount of people will think of asking whether or not it's uh, it's trustworthy. And Especially I think I like the, the approach of all the awareness campaigns that WhatsApp has been conducting specifically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I like the approach of we're not going to try to change the algorithm. Of course, WhatsApp can't really have it doesn't have an algorithm, but like uh, tweak the visibility or do warning campaigns or labels or whatever. It's just you ask someone. And I like that kind of uh, Mm. the relationship it creates. Scientists at Carnegie Mellon University have developed a method for combining prior task knowledge of a machine learning algorithm along with experience based learning learning of that same algorithm to have a robot cut cucumbers and tomatoes into slices nice and lean slices of tomatoes and cucumbers for your salads and sandwiches cutting vegetables <laughs> is complex because think about it the objects deform into different shapes creating new objects aka the slices that you then have to deal with the team used two robotic arms and an intel real sense camera one arm picks places and holds the vegetable and the other arm does the slicing they had humans using the arms to establish some parameters about how to make a cut in general and then they trained an embedding network to handle the varying thickness of the slices and the the varying shapes of the different cucumbers and tomatoes uh they learned representations could then be generalized across different shapes and sizes uh, so you could start with learning how to slice a particular cucumber, and then you could start to generalize that about all sizes, you know, a Persian cucumber and a, and a big fat English cucumber, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but, you know, it's funny. The cucumber uh, tomato uh, comparison is interesting because, like, tomatoes need serrated knives, right? I mean, if you don't have one, you could cut through one, but you really need a serrated knife. Cucumbers, not so much. So there are a lot of, it, it's not all sort of like a one size fits all, like do it quickly robot thing. It actually does kind of uh, call back to, you know, people who are really good with knives and really good with things that are precise. Yeah. Right? This, is all, it, this isn't getting to change knives. It's a 3D printed tool holder with a knife in it. So it's the same knife for the tomato as there is for the cucumber. That's what, sure, that's one but, of the things but, that has you know, to It's all on the to, wrist. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it's interesting that it seems that difficult to cut vegetables. It's something we don't really <laughs> think about. Um but that does require, I, I don't want to say expertise, I wouldn't go that far, but adapting to the current situation, which robots and, and artificial, uh, artificial intelligence have to be trained for. I don't want to say that they're not good at it, but 
they have to actually they have to work on that specific problem um and we we don't necessarily think that this is uh uh something that requires s- uh, specific development so i don't think any other animal naturally slices vegetables <laughs> and i'm very no? careful it's true careful Just to humans? Say, i i i <laughs> I imagine there someone could send me a link, a verified link t- showing that a monkey or an orangutan or an ape has been trained to slice vegetables. I wouldn't be shocked, but I haven't heard of that either. This is difficult. We take it for granted because we can do it. And even some of us are not at that good at slicing vegetables, right? Like we don't do it that great, but at least we can Mm-mm. do it. And it's it's incredibly complex when you break it in, add down into the balance and the sight and the pressure and the adaptation that is needed to do it. And that's that's a really good point, Patrick, about how... These things are harder for machines to do than a lot of times we give them credit for when we worry about them taking over. Uh, I'm not saying they won't take over someday, but it may be a lot longer than you think. Yeah, just wait until they start trying to make sandwiches. Yeah. That, that will be their downfall. They come and take, um, try to take our sandwich jobs. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, there are just so many... There are so many things that we don't think about that are really difficult. How long has it taken to get robots to walk and still they can't really do it very properly? Well, I guess now we're... I think your son is walking better than most robots these days. (laughs) He's not bad at it. Thank you for noticing. Uh, So, Patrick... Last week, we talked about the EU copyright directive, which is still in the process of becoming law, but it looks like it's going to become law. Uh, and you've had a week to think about it now. And you've got some thoughts that maybe it's it's not that it's a great law, but there are some things people are <laughs> reacting to out there that maybe are, are a little bit of an overreaction. Um, it is definitely not considered a great law by anyone including me. But um, a lot of what I've been seeing, I mean, we mentioned some of the safeguards uh, on last week's episode, and I've seen them mentioned here and there. But of course, a lot of people are focusing on the more um, vague elements of the law and some of the more concerning. And I think between the natural tendency of people to uh, worry about what is worrisome and the view we have of the initial drafts of the law that had a lot more uh, potential issues in the text, we're losing sight of some of the uh, uh, more, I guess, reassuring is the word I want to use, portions of the law. Um, for example, for Article 11, the quote-unquote link tax um which is now Article 15, there are specific safeguards like uh, the, the, the document specifically says it will not apply to private or non-commercial uses by individual users. It also uh, has a specific provision, I can't remember which one, for things like Wikipedia. Uh, it says it shall not apply to acts of hyperlinking. So the name of that article, the link tax, is actually specifically excluded from uh, the the use of uh, that that article, um, of course, the very short extracts um, uh, limit is one that we discussed, and that is a little bit vague. But to give you another example, in the Article Thirteen, which is now Article Seventeen, which is the content uh, ID type thing, the content filter, um, the there are a, a number of exceptions that are uh, uh, specifically mentioned in full. Uh, uh, in very clear text. Uh, so you don't, you should not actually filter, um, content that falls 
uh, that does not infringe copyright or and and related right related rights such as quotation criticism review caricature parody or pastiche so essentially all of those concerns that we hear about all the time oh it's going to be the end of the hyperlink the, the hyperlink you know the web can't function properly or you won't be able to do caricature or reviews are specifically mentioned in the text as this is okay now of course uh, the burden is on the uh the, the, the platforms to implement this correctly. And this is not an easy job for many, many reasons. Uh, but I think a lot of people are not seeing those safeguards that have been put in place. I, th I think these are important points to make because a lot of people want to immediately react and say, oh, but, but you're, so you're defending it. No, if you want to convince the people who support this not to support it, which is your only chance of getting it rejected or overturned or softened, then you can't tell them things they know aren't true. You can't say, well, it bans linking when it does it because they'll say, well, I'm not listening to you anymore because you say it's doing a thing that it's not doing. And and that's why I think last week we jumped straight to the criticisms of, well, it says that you can do very short extracts, but it doesn't really give you guidance on what that means. So that's going to have to be decided by the courts. That's what we mentioned last week or saying you shouldn't uh, stop quotation, criticism, review, character, parody or prestige without giving them any technical advice on how to do that so basically just saying like uh stop the bad stuff keep the keep the good <laughs> stuff isn't very helpful and it's very impractical and and those are all the criticisms we had last week but i think patrick you're bringing up a very good point of you should criticism on those criticize it on those things don't criticize it on things that aren't true Exactly, because I've seen some reporting, maybe not a lot, but and and some general rumblings about the things, as you said, that it will prohibit. Uh, now there are things like how do you implement this, as we mentioned, which will be difficult, and maybe the companies are going to ear on the side of safety. But the text does address these issues, and saying that it doesn't or that it creates them is, I think, a little bit uh, not disingenuous, but problematic. Yeah. So if you want the fair criticisms, uh, I think we did a good job with that last week. Uh, but th this is a good counterbalance uh, to that sort of thing. There's also something else crazy yes. happening. In the um, so I could actually play devil's advocate and defend, uh, if I had to, the um, uh, European Directive on Copyright. Uh, and you would say copyright uh, those legis that piece of legislation isn't great well uh, if you are looking for more opportunities to laugh at governments and legislation an ad campaign by the french government meant to encourage voting in the upcoming eu elections was just blocked on twitter because of an anti-fake news law passed by the French government in December of last year. Now, the reason for the decision is not the campaign's nature, but rather the requirements the law places on social networks. Indeed, they should provide information on financing and the origins of political ads in time of campaign, and Twitter claims they do not have the technical capability of surfacing that information, so they made the decision to refuse the, the ad campaign altogether. So this I is think the they're, law, they're trolling the government. The law of unintended consequences uh, working with the law the French government passed. Uh, because it's, it's not, if I get this right, Patrick, it's not that Twitter's saying that the French government's uh, encouragement of voting was fake it's that it can't provide all the substantive information they're required to do so to show that it isn't fake and so they're just going to block it altogether. 
Well, the system, Twitter, doesn't have like a button to have mm-hmm. more information in the, on this ad and surface that information. So the system isn't set up for it. And I think the easy way of looking at it is pointing, pointing fingers and laughing at the French government who's like, aha, you made that law and now it's caught you. You've been caught in that law. Uh, for me, I think if you think the law is necessary, if you do want to have more information on political ads, which I think, which I think is a reasonable, uh, you know, uh, requirement, then Twitter not having the capability of implementing this is not the French government's fault or any government fault. You might have an issue with the law to begin with, and the law isn't saying don't do fake news. The law says political ads should uh, enable you to see who is paying for it and where it comes from. So it's easy to make fun of it, and I think most of those laughs are misguided. I think you could make fun of Twitter, too, for not being able to take ad revenue uh, because they haven't put this together, right? I mean, that that would be the other end of this. Um, I think I think it's fair to say that uh, putting in a law doesn't mean that everyone will abide by the law in the way that which you hoped, right? When when the government put this law into place, they expected, okay, so all of the social networks will create a function where you'll be able to see this information, and Twitter just didn't do it. So I think it's still, without laughing, it's still the law of unintended consequences of, well, you didn't pass a law saying they had to put in the button, so this is the only option they have left. Uh, fair enough. I, I, then it becomes a discussion on whether or not that law is needed, and that's a different conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thanks for bringing those to us, uh, Patrick. I really appreciate having the European perspective from an actual European, a dual You're European, welcome. Finland and <laughs> France. Uh, folks, if you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, be sure to subscribe to dailytechheadlines.com. Google Plus. Rest in peace, Google Plus. It launched June 2011. Uh, it was mostly shut down Tuesday. It has survived by its cousin Google Plus Enterprise, which just like Google Glass, it will survive in the enterprise. Google Plus for Enterprise is not only going to live on, but it even has new features and a redesign in the works. So don't <laughs> say Google Plus is dead, folks. Google Plus is alive and well in the enterprise. But the Google Plus you and I knew in June 2011 is now gone. Uh, the free version now joins Wave and Reader on the Google Cemetery and killed by Google Sites. And uh, this led Ars Technica's Ron Amadeo, uh, among many others, to to write a column. Uh, Amadeo wrote his for Ars Technica today, calling Google's constant product shutdowns damaging to its brand. He notes that just this year, just in 2019, we're only three months in, Google has ended Chromecast Audio, YouTube Annotations, Google Allo, the goo.gl URL shortener, at least for new users, and Gmail support for IFT. Yeah, he mentions that that even uh, Alphabet companies like Google Fiber have pulled out of a particular town. Google Inbox shut down today, right alongside Google+. Amadeo writes, Google is eroding trust that its existing customers have in the company, and groups need to feel the platform they invest in today will be there tomorrow. He notes that Google Stadia, the new game streaming platform Google announced, should be grounds for excitement, but instead the baggage of the Google brand has people asking if they can trust the service to stay running. I've definitely heard that from people in our chat room and on email. So I ask you, Patrick and Sarah, is this perception also reality? Can can you trust new Google products? 
I mean, when we're talking about the products that died recently, they, they really, they, they spanned quite a few different products. You know, it's not like if you loved Google Plus, you would also be necessarily, you know, super bent out of shape about IFT being, um, uh, you know, losing support for Gmail. However, because we're all in the tech sector, we tend to use all these products. Whether we stick with them or not, well, it kind of depends on the person, right? But I think... To me, I kind of assume that a company like Google, who is trying out a lot of things, and, and, and it's public facing, you know, where we're all invited to try it out as well, and they go away, that doesn't really make me feel like Google doesn't know what it's doing. It makes me feel like Google is taking chances that other companies aren't doing. That is absolutely true. The reason uh, it's shutting down a lot of things is that it's trying so many. Um, and I think this is part of the ethos of maybe uh, uh, earlier dynamic uh, tech companies, which are, you know, moving fast and breaking things or moving fast and trying things. That being said, the perception, whether or not it's reality, uh, the perception itself exists and i think that does impact business uh, the the maybe not the business of google quite yet but it does impact its image which in turn might have a negative effect on the company itself the, I, I think it it's reached a fever pitch or breaking point where nowadays anytime google announces anything the immediate reaction of the tech press maybe not the general press but it it might uh, follow closely behind because we're you know trendsetters of course um is well you know there you go google the serial killer of products is trying something else i think stadia is looks more solid than many other products but still i, I can't I think I've heard this criticism maybe 150 times in the last two weeks. And that means something, right? It shapes the image of the company. And it's very difficult to change because you need to gain people's trust over years uh, in order for that uh, image to erode. So it, it is a concern, I think, a very real one for Google. Yeah, I, I, I think it is. A re I think Ron Amadeo is right that this is a real concern. I don't know that it's justified. There is definitely a sampling bias going on here where you don't look at the products that Google keeps around. And especially if you're a uh, consumer, not an enterprise user, you don't think of the enterprise use cases that are very stable. Uh, Amadeo takes them to task saying if they want to get enterprise users, uh, they can't just keep killing products. And the fact is they don't kill their enterprise products. In fact, Google Plus is sticking around in the enterprise, right? <laughs> like their enterprise system is very stable, but we don't see that unless we're enterprise decision makers, right? Unless we're in the enterprise set looking at the products, uh, yeah. we only see it as consumers and on the consumer side, you you see a lot of things. Uh, the, it, I feel like it's very similar to the idea that uh, crime rate is rising when it's actually falling because you watch the local news and see crime. And so you think, oh, the crime rate must be rising. I see crime every night on the local news. That's a sampling bias, right? Because you're not actually seeing all of the incidents that don't happen. You're not seeing the breadth of the data. Same thing's happening with Google. Like the local news, aka the tech press, tells you every time Google kills something, there's no need to report on something sticking around. Uh, and so I, I think Google does kill a lot of products much more publicly 
part, partly because it's Google than other companies. And so we over-index how often it actually does kill these products. Now, Amadeo makes some really good points about how the messaging strategy at Google is messed up, and that doesn't help the problem. Uh, but some of the other areas are, are, are fairly stable within Google. And yes, they try things, but Google Plus lasted almost nine years, right? Like, or, or almost eight years, I guess. Well, so I mean, I've had podcasts not last as long. Technically and, last? Yeah. No, I mean, they're shutting yeah. it down today, right? So the product lasted from no, June I know. 2011 but, till and, today. And, and honestly, there are plenty to- of products that don't last that long, is my point. Um, it, 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 you know, it's kind of, you know, in, in favor of the enterprise for years, for the last five years, I've had friends who are like, Google plus is the best product of them all. Like, why would you have a Facebook group? Why would you do it? Like, this is the social network that actually works the best. Like try it harder. And I'm like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I have, nobody's going to any of my stuff anymore. So, you know, you just kind of <laughs> make it work. But I but I have heard for some time that folks in various industries where there are certain communities that actually worked, and yes, the enterprise sector is, is part of that as well, are like, no, this, this is a great product. Maybe it's not right for consumers, but it's right for us. So mm. in that sense, I think it's, you know, it's a little, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I I I don't have a horse in the race, but but I I I I wonder why people want to like poo-poo a Google product ending so badly when really the company's like, oh, okay, it's not consumer, it's enterprise. We'll keep it alive. Well, because it's successful. I mean, I, I think that's part of it is Google has higher profile launches, it has more eyes on it. Uh, and so when it sunsets a product, it doesn't sunset it quietly. Everybody knows. Uh, and and so Right, when, when but, but, but if it's something that like has become very clear that it's 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 right for a certain sector rather than the consumer sector, well, that's not a failure to right. me. Yeah, no, exactly. I it, it's maybe a product I won't use anymore, but it's not a failure. Yeah, it's not a fa- it, and it's not a problem to kill a product no one's using anymore, but keep it going for the people who are using it. In exactly, a different, different that's smart. Yeah. I agree. I I will say, however, that I'm. I would be curious to know how many products each of the big companies have killed. You know, Facebook, Google, uh, Microsoft, Apple, etc. Because it definitely feels no one ever believed they would be any good, though. (laughs) It it definitely feels like Google is killing more. You know, on a, 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 a absolute amount, the number. Google is killing more because they're making more than the others. Maybe that's yeah, maybe my that's impression. Part of it too. Yeah. Well, thanks everybody who participates in our subreddit. There are many Google stories there, as there are others. Submit stories and vote on the ones that you care about at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. If you hang out on Facebook, we got a group there as well. Facebook.com slash groups slash daily tech news show. All right, let's check in with Nate Langson, who has a preview on what's coming up. And the next tech message, including chatbot abuse. Thanks, guys. Well, this week we went into the story that Britain's chatbots are being abused, apparently. 
several thousand people are asking chatbots in Britain to send them nude pictures um, or otherwise deal with some very fruity language. We also discussed this week calls for shorter working weeks, partly in response to the fact that a number of jobs are facing being automated. And if some of our jobs are going to be automated, could we get away with being paid the same amount of money, but just working fewer days each week? And we also talked a little bit about the BBC pulling all of its shows from Google's podcasting app. All that and more being discussed on text message episode 163 out now at techpodcast.uk uh real quickly uh thank you to graham o'reilly ceo at every cloud for including a nice mention of daily tech news show in the it pro tuesday newsletter uh and thanks to john uh who is a subscriber to the Net newsletter passed it along to us and let us know about it uh, that was very nice it's, it's it's nice to be recognized very cool also nice to have is patrick beja <laughs> patrick I know it's late where you are. What's been going on since we saw you last? Uh, We did a new episode of MVGB, the monthly video game briefing with Scott Johnson. If you enjoy gaming from afar as a casual gamer, you might want to check it out. It's again MVGB. And if you enjoy gaming as a more core gamer, Pixels is the show for you. I do it every couple of weeks. And this week I had... Ali Welsh, the editor of Eurogamer, and we discussed a lot of things uh, in depth, and it was really interesting. I recommend you go check it out. It's called Pixels. Excellent. Uh, Folks, we need two more patrons than last month this month since we fell uh, short last month. So thank you to everybody who signed up yesterday. We had a big influx of folks uh, signing up. We super appreciate it. And, and we we got to parity. So we just need a couple more and then stay at that level for the rest of this month. Uh, you may not realize if you sign up at the anal, uh, or I'm sorry, the advisor or master level and stick with us for three months, you either get a poster or a mug with Len Peralta's DTNS five-year anniversary art on it. Uh, in fact, the first of those are going to start uh, mailing out here in the next week or so for the folks who's been with us since January. So check that out at patreon.com slash DTNS slash merch. If you want to give us some feedback, well, we have an email address, and that email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. If you'd like to join our show live, we're live Monday through Friday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. Back tomorrow with Scott Johnson. Talk to you then. Bye. This show is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. You have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. 
Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.